digital economy, such as the mobile payment and the e-commerce, has shown strong vitality and resilience, and has continued to play a role in promoting people's livelihood and economic prosperity in China and in ASEAN countries, and has become a powerful driving force for deepening and strengthening bilateral economic and trade cooperation. The United States is trying to split ASEAN into maritime and mainland components. You see, because the projection of their power is maritime, they're trying to really just split, you know, Philippines and Singapore, and into, they're trying to split those into maritime and mainland. And it, look, it's, it's not going to work. And I think Jokowi's warning is all about that. I request the other countries in ASEAN to be more aggressive in advising the Philippines, because the moral suasion will. Have its positive effect to discourage the Philippines from continuing in its present path of collaboration with the disruptor of uh, development and uh, prosperity for the world, not only for Asia. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to the Chat Lounge. I'm Tuyin. Government leaders from China and Southeast Asia have met in Jakarta to discuss strengthening cooperation in the post-pandemic era amid various uncertainties. They've adopted the ASEAN-China Joint Statement on Mutually Beneficial Cooperation on ASEAN Outlook on the Indo-Pacific and a series of outcome documents. So, joining our discussion in this session are. Dr. Dickby James Ren, Senior Special Advisor and Director of the Mekong Research Center, the International Relations Institute, Royal Academy of Cambodia; Professor Dai Yonghong, Dean of the College of International Studies and Institute of Area and International Communication, Shenzhen University; and Herman Laurel, founder of the Philippine BRICS Strategic Studies Group. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. So it's Herman's、uh, first、okay. time on the show.、Uh, allow me to begin with Herman. The ASEAN-China relationship has been credited as the most successful and vibrant model for cooperation in the Asia-Pacific region. And two often discussed examples of cooperation are the Lao-China Railway, which started operation in, in late 2021, and the Jakarta-Bandung High-Speed Rail. Herman, what benefits will the railways bring now and in the future? Well,、uh, I think for Laos,、uh, I have、uh, been following the developments of this Laos-China、uh, line,、uh, rail line, and、uh, it's a breakout now for Laos for its economy, for its tourism, for its trade, its exports. As、uh, the old Chinese saying goes, you want to、um, live a better life, start to build a road, and these are not just roads, but Trains and the telecommunications and so on. So it's it's very positive, but、uh, I think it is very important to stress that have come about because of 56 years of stability, peace in the region, and this is、uh, I think、uh, the opening line from、uh, President Widodo when he warns ASEAN against the destructive、uh, rivalries in in the region,、mm. which、uh, we should continue to make real efforts to insulate it、uh, from. The destructive rivalries.、Uh, what do you think he was referring to? Well, I think ASEAN is very polite to each other. To、uh, each and every member is very polite. But I think this is not a a veiled、uh, anymore、uh, reminder to one country, particularly my country today, which is inviting a lot of forces that are bringing in rice, fertilizer,、uh, engineering equipment, but、uh, warplanes,、uh, warships.、Uh, 
building bases, building ports uh, near the hotspots of our region. It is already very clear uh, mm. what the mistake our government is making. And uh, this is now a real threat, which I think ASEAN should really pay attention to, mm. to the ASEAN stability, security, and the long-term peace and prosperity. Right. We'll come to that uh, with further analysis uh, later on in the show. But uh, Professor Dai, I'm not sure if you've ever taken the, the Lao-China Railway. And um, you, you used to be based in, I think, Sichuan, right? Yes. Exactly. I used to, based, uh, to be based in Sichuan, actually. Sichuan is a close, uh, immediate neighbor of uh, Yunnan, right. uh, which uh, the Kunming is the starting station of this uh, China North Railway. Uh, to my understanding, what uh, specific benefits uh, of these two railways can bring mm. now in the future? I think that uh, you know this railway uh, lines are very good examples of this mutually beneficial cooperation between China and the Southeast Asia countries. So under the principle of extensive consultation, joint contribution and shared benefits since the BRI was proposed uh, 10 years ago, mm. the joint construction of this BRI between China and the Southeast Asia countries will inject uh, positive energy into regional development and the world economic recovery. So my specific uh, views are these. Regarding this China and the Laos railway line, uh, you see, were uh, greatly facilitated the exchanges. Mm. And uh, specifically speaking, you know, this uh, uh, Laos is called, is nicknamed as a landlocked country. Right. But with the opening of this uh, China Laos Railway, which uh, Laos can become actually a landlocked country because uh, people can hope to strengthen cooperation with China and achieve common development through the efforts of both sides. And it is believed that more cooperation projects will be implemented in the future and promote the vigorous development of Southeast Asia. Mm, but there are also some doubts um, over such projects. You know, like the, the Lao-China Railway, people would say whether, you know, the, the country linked to China um, by the railway may be, you know, controlled or manipulated by uh, the Chinese government. And when it comes to uh, the Indonesian high-speed rail, critics are asking um, whether local people can afford the tickets, whether the, the railway can generate profits, and whether Indonesia needs such a high-speed rail now. So, Digby, what's your response to those questions? The first one, of course, is that connectivity is the first step towards any kind of economic development. and. Uh, and I've been to Indonesia and traveled uh, previously before the rail was there between Jakarta and Bandung. It's just taken an awfully long time. And, you know, look, that is one of the very high frequency travel points. And I, I think there's a, every chance that that's going to be successful and, and be profitable. Um, I'm pretty sure of that. Look, building these railways is really, really important. And, and, and I'm in Cambodia and I see that what's happening with the Lao Railway from Kunming down to Vientiane and now there's the rail going across to, to Thailand mm. and Cambodia is also building its rail to Bavet to connect up with the Thai rail. I mean, this is going to connect all of these economies. You know, yesterday I was in a meeting and this is what we talked about, is about how, how are we going to get efficiencies in terms of transport? And this is the obvious way and everybody in these governments knows that this is the, the solution, this is the answer, and it's not related to China controlling this in, in any real way. China is enabling 
this to happen because nobody else wants to do it. You see, one has to understand immediately that there's no interest by the European Union or the Americans, and you can see this in their trying to float kind of uh, infrastructure programs that have just failed miserably, mm -hmm. Blue Dot and uh, Global Gateway and so forth, be build back better. They, they, they fail because there's no real interest for them to do so. Um, they're really only interested in uh, maritime transport. That's really all they want, except perhaps for the BII across Eurasia. That, that's slightly different. Mm -hmm. But um, look, that's it's obviously the way forward. And along with that comes all the other bits and pieces, which is, you know, these are really very the latest tech in terms of railways. And that comes with all sorts of uh, uh, software and uh, management and logistics, fast transfers and all this kind of thing. This is much better than any, anybody's had for, for decades. And uh, it, it's really a positive step. And I think inside every government in ASEAN, they know that. There's, mm. I don't think there's any doubt about it at all. And uh, uh, in terms of the economic and trade relations between the two sides, We've seen, um, despite the COVID pandemic, China and ASEAN countries have achieved substantial growth over the past uh, few years, as you've already uh, mentioned. ASEAN has uh, remained China's biggest trading partner since 2020. Two-way trade has increased by more than uh, 50 percent since 2019, if I remember correctly. And yeah. import and export between the two sides went up 15 percent last year, which is a scenario barely seen in other parts of the world. So what have the two sides done right, Digby? <laughs> well, um, I think the evidence is there, right? You just quoted the numbers. Um, bilateral trade is just booming, really. Mm. Um, and as I said to you, I, you know, I had a very big meeting yesterday with some very high-powered chief executives and some government officials here in China. I'm in Sichuan. And they're looking forward and they're making plans for that to keep growing. They, they think that's going to keep happening. And, um, you know, I, I'm very interested when I read the news reports recently and they, they say, oh, well, you know, there's some slower growth in China and slower growth. And I looked at the IMF statement from uh, Christina Georgieva. Mm. Uh, and, and then in the sort of, you know, maybe second or third, I think maybe third or even fourth statement, she said, oh, and by the way, a decreasing demand in Europe and America is a major cause of, cause of this. Mm. Um, and, and I see that, uh, you know, what, what's, yeah, uh, what's happening is that's the downward pressure is the fact that, the, that there is less demand from the so-called advanced economies, mm. the G7 economies, let's call them. But look, ASEAN is still a very bright spot and so is China. I, I think that the evidence is there in the statistics, uh, but it's being downplayed in the, in the media, Western media in particular. Uh, but look, here in ASEAN and here in China, I think, yes, sure, everybody understands that there is some kind of slowdown, but the future still looks very, very bright uh, and they're looking for for increasing that trade. And I think that's not going to stop. Really, it's not going to stop, regardless uh, of whatever happens for demand in Europe and America. That just makes the equation for China and ASEAN even stronger. And it's still going to be the bright spot. We're, you know, you're still looking at more than 30% of global growth coming out of ASEAN China. There is a long way to go before this you know, runs into any kind of real difficulties other than external political interference and so forth and great power rivalry. Mm, yeah, like you said, uh, there's great power rivaling across the globe, actually. So, Herman, what's your interpretation of the better-than-expected performance in the region, even though with some great power rivalry here, that might cause some interruption to regional development from time well, to time? I, was just, I just reviewed the, the trade data between China and, the, and ASEAN, and I was, uh, of course, uh, staggered by the almost one trillion trade between China and ASEAN in 2022, and mm. which is bound to grow. That is why I uh, are faced with great uh, dread. This may be still unadmitted, but uh, 
clearly developing situation in the Philippines that is threatening or will threaten the ASEAN, China, and Asian regional stability. Uh, I think uh, this is really a, a concern for, for ASEAN, uh, which maybe has not yet been fully admitted as a major uh, challenge uh, mm. to the very, very bright prospects of ASEAN being ASEAN and Asia being the center of growth for the next uh, decade for the entire world. Uh, as we can see, the West is still uh, uh, encumbered by all its uh, sanctions uh, regimes, its uh, uh, war in Ukraine, and, and uh, which it doesn't seem to be able to extricate itself from. So the hope of the uh, global community is Asia. And mm. so it is of primary importance that uh, the um, warning issued by uh, President Widodo be uh, heeded by ASEAN members and mm. be more aggressive in uh, ensuring that the warning is heeded. So uh, I think uh, everything is going very well for ASEAN and Asia, uh, ASEAN China. We, to keep it that way, make sure that we are also very activist in maintaining the peace and stability of the region. Just in relation to Indonesia and Jakawi's warning, I mean, uh, most of the listeners may know this, but, you know, it's Indonesia that was the power behind setting up ASEAN in the first instance. And it was set up specifically to stop the kind of great power rivalry that mm. uh, is, is being exerted in the region now. That, that's why it was set up. And so that's where his warning is really based very seriously in that original formation of ASEAN. And also uh, further back, it was also Indonesia that hosted Bandung and you know, Asia, Asia, Africa conference. And that's where that really all comes from. And that's what Basically, I think generally, uh, except perhaps for the Philippines and Singapore, um, yeah, uh, they, that, they, you know, they still want this to happen. Right. That's yeah. what I'm asking. You were saying that uh, there is this uh, great power rivalry in the region. I think that's been there for quite some time already. And the countries in the region have also, you know, conflicting claims to uh, territorial waters in South China Sea. But over the past few years, we've seen things going quite smoothly, if you will. So why haven't these so, conflicting uh, claims significantly uh, impacted regional economic and trade cooperation? Uh, Professor Dai? Yes, uh, just uh, talking exactly the, the your question concerning on this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, uh, uh, why or what have the two sides done right? My, I personally believe that uh, since this uh, COVID-19 epidemic, uh, digital economy such as uh, Mobile payment and e-commerce has shown strong vitality and resilience and has continued to play a role in promoting people's livelihood and economic prosperity in China and uh, as well as in ASEAN countries and has become a powerful driving force for deepening and strengthening bilateral economic and trade cooperation between China and ASEAN countries as an important carrier to strengthen information connectivity the China-ASEAN Information Port has carried out a project a docking and implementation cooperation with many, many ASEAN countries in the fields of digital government, digital enterprises, digital industries, and the new communications, and build a number of internet platforms for the ASEAN region to promote China's advanced technologies and mature business models in the field of internet application in ASEAN countries. For example, in 2020, after the beginning of this COVID-19 pandemic, the Cloud ASEAN Expo was immediately launched 
and function as cloud display, cloud conference, and cloud negotiation will develop to break through regional restrictions and expand business opportunities. So visitors can visit the exhibition online and browse the cultural content of various countries and ex- exhibition products, including the China Community Pavilion, the ASEAN Countries Pavilion, and the BRI International Pavilion. Since the launch of this Cloud ASEAN Expo, the online and normal operation throughout the year has truly realized the ASEAN uh, Expo that never ends for 365 days a year because you can do it every day on this uh, internet platform. Mm. And so the impact of this academic on the smooth trade has been avoided. So that's why we can see this uh, increasing growth of regional economies and trade for the past uh, uh, three and a half years, even though we we experienced that uh, difficult time. Right, that's one aspect. But I'm wondering why some um, disputes over territorial waters haven't deterred the regional um, cooperation. You know, like in yes. other in other regions, there are there are wars. But between Southeast Asia and China, there isn't such scenario. And is it because of some you know old Asian wisdom, or they're unwilling to be manipulated by outside forces? The reason why I ask this question is because I think we can learn from our past experience, even if there are some power play that's coming to this region in, in the near future, we may learn lessons from, from the past, right? Uh, Herman, your interpretation yeah. here? Well, territorial disputes has, uh, been, have been there um, between and amongst uh, nations of uh, mankind uh, since time immemorial. This is nothing new. And all of them, one way or the other, are resolved either by uh, negotiation, uh, or negotiation after conflict, but still negotiation, and uh, the others uh, are are left to fester, while more important issues such as economic development, mm. cooperation, come up. So this uh, territorial issue in over the South China Sea claims of various countries, at least five or six countries, uh, is uh, par par for the course. Uh, we expect it, and uh, the methods of resolving it peacefully has been set by. ASEAN, the code of conduct, and so on. And it has been going very smoothly. I think uh, everybody, uh, every country aspires uh, to achieve it, uh, uh, signed and and ironed out uh, very soon, except that there are external factors that are entering the picture, trying to uh, uh, blow up the minor issues that so far has not created any problem, but uh, will create problems if this continues uh, unabated, this... um, challenge and uh, response between China, in particular with the Philippines only, Mm. not with any other country under this present administration, not before. Uh, So something has changed in the Philippines that is causing the disruption of uh, the normal negotiation process, peaceful uh, resolution of issues. uh, And I will state here very clearly that uh, Western media, including Philippine media, mainstream media, have been exaggerating reports of so-called harassment, which is absolutely untrue. Uh, not fact-based, uh, and this uh, latest incident of water cannoning has happened before in 2021 and another previous incident half a decade ago. No real big issue comes up because uh, this water cannon is the most benign mm. of the police methods to establish uh, one's uh, claim over a sovereign area, and it is being challenged, so uh, such situations do will occur when the challenge is met with by uh, response. Right. Mm. Digby, your take here? 
Well, I think, uh, first of all, uh, we need to realize that what um, uh, Professor Dow said earlier, and that is that, you know, this has been bubbling away for a very, very long time. And this is internal ASEAN problems mm. over maritime rights and claims. And that's been done peacefully, uh, even though there's, you know, it, obviously it flares up time every now and then, but it, it's been done peacefully. But the the real problem, as you pointed to it, is that there's external influence. And we know where that's coming from. And, you know, you have to wonder, you know, why Australian warships, British warships, uh, American warships are floating around in the South China Sea when they don't really have any direct concern. But, but over, over the past few years, we weathered we weather that very, claims. very well, right? We managed to... Yeah, they're justifying yeah. their existence by doing this, you see. If, if, if there seems to be a claim, then they need to be there. And that's how the narrative yeah. goes and the media goes with that. And look... Uh, the thing is that going forward to get this code of conduct signed is very, very important. And, mm. you know, you can see from uh, the American point of view, that makes them less relevant. And that's what they obviously don't mm -hmm. like. And uh, what's happening is that they're trying, the, the United States is trying to split ASEAN into maritime and mainland components, you see, because the projection of their power is maritime. And so they, they need to do that. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to really just split you know, so, you know, Philippines and Singapore, and India, they're trying to split those into maritime and mainland. And it, look, it, it's not going to work. And I think Jakawi's warning is all about that. Uh, ASEAN needs to be really, really concentrated on making sure they don't allow this to, to work. You're listening to The Chat Lounge. We'll be back right after this. From the first day I was here, I just loved China. And Why what China instead of other countries? That's the essence of China. Why the village instead of the city? When we talk about you know, rural revitalization. As China's rural revitalization continues, we talk to expats to find out their reasons for choosing to live in the country's villages for years or even decades. Everyone knew and everyone cared about See around them, people investing in that. They also share their experiences and views on the development and reconstruction of the countryside over the years. The village became much cleaner. So that was the best thing because all the families got back together. Learn more about what's going on in China's vast rural areas through my expat life in rural China, here on Chat Lounge. Welcome back and you're listening to The Chat Lounge. And we're talking about the outlook of China-ASEAN cooperation in the coming years. Yeah, I agree with Dibi. You have pointed out that uh, this potential code of conduct in the South China Sea, which uh, maybe can be reached uh, by the autumn of 2026. So in my mm. uh, view, the code of conduct in the South China Sea, most importantly, provides a substantial obligation clause. Mm. Uh, actually, it creates a specific uh, obligations for all the parties in South mm. China Sea to manage differences, exercise the self-restraint, build mutual trust, and promote uh, practical cooperation. It includes not only encouraging and the positive obligations, such as encouraging parties to manage differences in a constructive manner and promote uh, practical cooperation, but also preventing or prohibiting obligations, such as the prohibiting new occupation of islands and reefs. It includes not only principled uh, obligations, such as the peaceful settlement of international disputes, but also specific uh, guidelines, such as the settlement of territorial and uh, jurisdictional disputes through negotiation and uh, consultation. Mm. Like you all mentioned, it's very important for this code of conduct to be signed by all parties, but uh, what's the likelihood of the goal being uh, reached as planned? Uh, a question yeah. to all of you. Uh, to my 
uh, understanding, I think, uh, in recent years, due to this interference from countries outside the region, the situation in South China Sea has become more unstable. The United States is advancing its Indo-Pacific strategy in South China Sea, strengthening its military presence and deterrence in the South China Sea, and attempting to use its one-sided interpretation of international law to interfere with the consultations between China and ASEAN members on the code of conduct in South China Sea. So the establishment of regional rules posing severe challenges to peace and security in the South China Sea. I believe that if external interference is excluded, countries in the South China Sea will have a great willingness to jointly promote the implementation of COC. Although the risk of extraordinary interference is growing, I personally have all confidence in the wisdom of the government and the people of ASEAN countries and believe that it will be achieved as planned. Uh, in relation to uh, the code of conduct being signed in the next three years. Uh, it's, this is very important to go back to what's happening economically. Mm. And we realize that there's still a lot of growth over the next decades, um, and, in, and specifically in the next three years. Now, with the, um, the economies in the advanced north of G7 not doing so well, that's going to be strengthened. And of course, as that happens, there's going to be more impetus for ASEAN to control and guarantee its own security the security of its own sea lines of communication. That's going to become more and more important. There's going to be more impetus to, have, to want to have that happen. And uh, I, you know, I think that most of the ASEAN maritime countries are preparing to be able to do that, and not just in terms of military power, but in terms of uh, satellite technology, tra- you know, logistics, being able to track ships and make sure they, you know, they're, they're safe and secure, you know, what you might call occupational health and safety, uh, insurance and so forth. This is all going to be advanced. Therefore, there's a great interest. And uh, this is also true for the ASEAN Plus Three, mm. uh, that, uh, uh, it's worthwhile and uh, I think uh, almost uh, inevitable that they're going to have to have more responsibility. And as uh, Herman just said, um, ASEAN has been very successful in being able to work together without too many flare-ups or too much uh, disagreement. And they've been able to build consensus around these things slowly. And so this is another point in three in three years' time. And I think that's, there's there's definite impetus towards this. Uh, and uh, uh, as long as as long as you know there's no severe economic distortions uh, caused by external factors. It's going to happen regardless. Now, whether it actually happens in three years, I don't know. But um, uh, I think there's a very good possibility that it's going to be advanced, certainly. Mm. Herman, well, uh, if I may add, yeah, if right. I may add to the discussion. Right. Do, do, <laughs> does the Philippines ha- have such impetus or reasons to do so? I think three years is not more than ample time to come to an agreement and seal the, the deal mm. uh, of the code of conduct. However, if there is insufficient goodwill from all the parties involved, then we have a problem. I think uh, we should take um, a cue from the success of uh, China and Vietnam um, achieving uh, agreements in the Gulf of Tonkin, fisheries cooperation, and so on. Mm. Uh, I think that is very simple for to do in uh, the general uh, vicinity of uh, the South China Sea and all these conflicting claims. Because uh, ultimately, what is each claimant country seeking in the claims? It is to benefit from the economic uh, potentials in the South China Sea. And uh, I will just cite an example. In the Philippines, there was already a joint uh, exploration and uh, exploitation agreement between the Philippines and China under Duterte. But this was sabotaged on the Philippine side by elements of the related to the Americans. Mm. Even to the last uh, th- three months of uh, President Duterte's administration, he reminded his um, his cabinet that uh, 
the Philippines must fulfill the commitment of um, delivering on this uh, joint venture uh, to explore and to develop uh, the oil and gas resources at that time in favor of the Philippines, 60%, 40% for China. But uh, just a month before the end of this, his administration, the Secretary of Foreign Affairs uh, uh, arbitrarily, unilaterally announced the termination of the agreement. So these are the uh, unexplainable elements that is happening in the Philippines. You know? mm. And so far, this uh, agreement uh, has not been revived by the Philippine side because uh, that would have been the uh, template for an mm. agreement also in the um, second Thomas Shoal between China and the Philippines. But uh, the way things are going, it is deliberately being uh, sabotage uh, all this potential for sharing agreements and so on. Mm. Yeah, there, there are some uncertainties there. But uh, one thing for sure is that uh, other countries in the region have this higher willingness, if you will, to develop economic and uh, other ties with China. And at this year's meeting in Jakarta, leaders of China and ASEAN aim to well, upgrade... Well, I think that's why I'm make, making it a very uh, emphatic point right. to share this uh, perspective with uh, my ASEAN friends, our ASEAN friends, and because uh, the Philippines today cannot move on its own. Uh, for various reasons, including the one cited by Digby earlier. Mm. Uh, it is shackled to the uh, American uh, influence in, in the region. And uh, it will need the assistance, moral and otherwise, uh, of its ASEAN neighbors mm. to nudge it back to truly independent ASEAN-centered foreign policy. Yeah. We need help from ASEAN members to break free from this threatening force that is uh, pushing the Philippines to be the monkey wrench in ASEAN. Right. Yeah, hopefully the government of the Philippine government can hear what you just said. Let's um, dive into other, you know, cooperative areas that we can further explore. You've, uh, Digby and um, uh, Professor Dai and Herman, you've already mentioned a lot of uh, areas like the digital economy, something they're looking to. But um, there's this new, I can't say new, but a uh, quite interesting cooperation area is this um, cracking down on, on cross-border crimes, especially telecom frauds, um, which have plagued regional countries in the past couple of years. So what's been achieved and what needs to be done in the future to, to maybe eradicate the problem? Professor Dai, maybe you, you've got yes. an answer to it? Yes. Uh, you know, regarding your uh, questions, I think that Actually, I don't want to mention specific measures because in many areas, we have already taken actions, uh, as we have seen for the past uh, two weeks. Mm. Here, I would like to propose the top-level design between China and ASEAN to combat uh, telecom fraud. That is, China has issued a regional immigration governance initiative to jointly crack down on cross-border illegal and uh, criminal activities such as uh, telecom fraud, representatives of this uh, migration department of uh, ASEAN countries, the ASEAN Secretariat, the International Organization for Migration and other relevant officials have already attended the meeting and jointly put forward the Regional Migration Governance Initiative, this uh, RMGI. Now, according to the initiative, it has a total of 16 articles which are aimed at combating cross-border crimes such as the telecommunications fraud, and an important feature here is to fully rely on ASEAN mechanisms and respect ASEAN's will 
to carry out joint law enforcement operations. As proposed in Article 4, under the guidance of the Ministerial Conference of the Countries in the Region on Combating Transnational Crimes, crimes and the procedures of the relevant working mechanisms, the implementation of the ASEAN Action Plan on Combating Transnational Crimes in the Field of Migration Management will be effectively implemented, and cross-border illegal and criminal activities will be jointly effectively implemented, uh, be uh, jointly competed with uh, all the ASEAN parties so as to effectively protect the legitimate rights and interests of citizens and enterprises of the countries in the region, and constantly enhance the sense of security of people traveling and officials starting their businesses. So I think this uh, regional migration governance initiative is very important for this combat uh, to these cross-border crimes. Mm. And Dick B, can you share your knowledge in this field with us? Well, in Cambodia, there was quite a lot of this being based out of Sihanoukville. Mm. Uh, after the COVID pandemic started, there there was a lot of empty buildings and uh, the people just were able to set up kind of quite large-scale bases to run some fraud operations. Uh, now, eventually, um, eventually the, the uh, Cambodian government was able to clamp down on that and, um, and sense quite a few nationals from all sorts of other countries in ASEAN and some others. But now that they've cracked down on that, what we've witnessed from the Cambodian point of view is that this is now kind of gone into the golden triangle in Myanmar. And of course, you know, wherever there's right. instability, uh, that's where criminal activity is going to occur most frequently because there's, you know, there's a limited law and order capacity. But I, I think Professor Dai is uh, right about what he just said about the articles relating to the harmonization uh, for ASEAN law enforcement and control. So that, that, that's a quite complex process, mm. actually. But that is definitely improving. But the, the thing is that uh, many of much of this activity is and has always existed. And it's always going to kind of, you know, find the cracks. And uh, that's what it does. That's what criminal activity does. And uh, so it can never be completely suppressed. That's not actually possible. Mm. But it can be controlled and it can be limited. That's definitely true. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, there has to be joint consensus driven ASEAN uh, harmonization on all of the uh, of the, uh, the the documents that um, Professor Dai was talking about. Mm. So uh, you know, the sooner the better, really. And if there is a sort of slowdown in the economy, I, one one can expect to see perhaps an increase uh, of of this kind of activity. But uh, so it needs to be done as fast as possible. Right, because the social stability is quite important for for smooth economic development. And and I think that uh, the Filipinos they know this very well. Uh, Herman, the Philippines and China have been working closely to fight against drugs. So how's the cooperation going, and has it met expectations? Well, like many cooperative uh, ventures between China and the Philippines, it has been uh, quiet on this front. Uh, and uh, the reality is that uh, the uh, ICC, again, the Western institution, the International Criminal Court, mm. has been hounding the government uh, on these issues of uh, uh, drug uh, crimes by police and so on and so forth. Right. So uh, uh, the drug situation is getting worse again in the Philippines, uh, uh, part of the general breakdown of law and order in the country. You know, it, even today we are facing a rice supply crisis, rice price crisis. The rest of ASEAN doesn't seem to be aware of these things, which is natural. We try to uh, take care of our problems, but uh, it is not in within the awareness now of the Philippine government, these this challenges uh, in the drug 
uh, illegal drug sector and so on. So mm -hmm. uh, there are daily problems that are uh, not being able to uh, be surmounted by the government today. So you're saying uh, it's better that bilateral cooperation in this field goes back to what it was during the last administration? I'm just saying that there is no leadership at all in the Philippines today. Mm. Nothing positive is moving forward. No, none of the old programs that have been uh, very promising, such as the anti-drugs campaign, uh, is uh, being sustained uh, at this time. Uh, and uh, that is a uh, nor normal complaint now of the population that the drug menace is back. Uh, so the problem is not with ASEAN, of course, it is within the Philippine leadership, political leadership. This is, we are already seeing chaos uh, descend upon our country. Right. That may be some uh, area that um, both countries can ex further explore, but uh, it's well, up to uh, the willingness me, of the Philippine, gov Philippine let government. Let me just add that China is very, very patient. It has not suspended any of the positive programs with the Philippines, despite the many uh, continuing insults and uh, assaults uh, by the Philippine government on the Chinese uh, policy situation. But uh, I, I hope this patience will last. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. And about regional connectivity. Uh, Vietnam's um, Prime Minister have talked about increasing regional connectivity. But uh, we've already seen the U.S. upgrading its uh, relationship with Vietnam and uh, Washington is trying to counter the Belt and Road Initiative in developing countries, uh, like you've mentioned previously on the show. So I'm um, wondering whether ASEAN countries may resort to the U.S. or its other allies for improved regional connectivity and uh, infrastructure there. Digby? Oh, I'm sorry, I, I was just laughing okay. because I'm just trying to imagine the United States building any infrastructure in uh, anywhere outside of the United States and, and where they don't build any infrastructure in, in, in their own country anyway. Um, they can ask so, their allies such as Japan to do it, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, well, Japan has been interested in that and Japan's interests in terms of Asia are very different to really what the United States' interests are. And Japan sees Asia as its future no matter what. That's been very obvious for a very long time. And they are trying to strengthen that and you know, if they can sort of leverage or harness their relationship with the United States to make that work better for them, that's really what they're trying to do. But look, I don't think there's any possibility of the United States being able to do anything in terms of uh, infrastructure development, nor Australia, but for that matter. They'll do something small in the Pacific Islands, but they're not going to do anything in, in, in ASEAN, generally speaking. Um, I don't think that's going to happen at all. Uh, and when they are talking about this kind of upgrading with Vietnam, I mean, what are they talking about? Ports? You know, maritime. The only real way they can do this is maritime or air. And that what? So more flights, perhaps? I think that's really what they're talking about. More ships, more flights. That's all possible. Why not? You know, Vietnam wants to trade as much as it can. And as long as the United States is by far the largest importer of Vietnamese products, Vietnam is going to try to balance and hedge between China and the US in relation to its trade relationships, but not so much on its security relationships. And I think that's also true of other economies. And, you know, one has to remember that the real leverage that the United States has is its potential for imports. And that's possibly technology as well and, and capital. But um, the situation we're in right now, I think, was Vietnam had a 17% drop in exports to the US mm -hmm. and Cambodia had something like 14% drop. I think demand is just dropping generally from the EU and, uh, and the US. And interestingly enough, in Cambodia, the EU was so worried about uh, human rights and labor laws and things like that. And then mm -hmm. as soon as the, the demand started dropping in their own economy, you know, having trouble, they stopped talking about that and they started sending all their trade representatives to try and sign up new deals. So you can see 
see that this is definitely economically driven. But from the US point of view, it's still going to be security first, what they yeah. call security, which is really interference. Um, and but from the ASEAN point of view and from Vietnam's point of view, Cambodia, Singapore even, and certainly other economies, it's it's going to be, you know, what's the value of the export markets and to Europe and, and to America? And what do we get in return for that? Uh, that's the real leverage. As for the Philippines, I honestly don't know. Maybe Herman can enlighten us a little bit more. Herman? I echo the uh, sentiment I heard from uh, Digby, mm-hmm. because uh, the West does not have the capacity to really uh, extend any assistance to the region. Uh, in fact, uh, the reverse is happening. They're extending disruptive uh, initiatives, uh, sending NATO uh, interests to establish a regional office here, uh, sending their warships here. We cannot expect any help from the West at this point in time until yeah. better leadership uh, assumes in the United States in the next elections. I, mm. It's really disheartening, but uh, that is the reality. Mm. I'd like to make a point about, um, uh, this is something that, uh, that's that been taking my time for the last week or so, and that is in relation to connectivity inside ASEAN, not just the rail and fiber optic and all that stuff, mm. but connectivity related to feeder shipping. For example, in the Adriatic in, in Europe, uh, that's quite a small sea, and along the coast of the Adriatic, there, there must be something like 20 ports. ASEAN has a very similar kind of arrangement, but the feeder shipping lines that go across the Gulf of Thailand, for example, and the South China Sea and everything, that can be expanded enormously. And mm. uh, so between Indonesia and Australia, between Indonesia and the Philippines and so forth and so on, those feeder networks, they need to be strengthened enormously. And there's a great potential there. And I'm not sure that all governments are really looking at it. But uh, in Cambodia, I've been advocating for that for a long time, uh, especially with Sihanoukville being developed, because the Gulf of Thailand is, is really underutilized in terms of uh, internal ASEAN trade. Mm. That's a thing. And further harmonization, I think, in relation to the customs and so forth with RCEP in place, all of that, that still needs to be strengthened even more. And uh, maybe ASEAN doesn't really, really need so much external help to make this stuff happen. What it needs to do is uh, unleash the power of, uh, of the people that are already here and already want to do it and, and look at how they can uh, make it easier for that to happen. Mm-hmm. I think that's entirely possible. I fully agree with uh, what Didi and Herman said. Uh, so I personally think that uh, the US and Japan, um, they have the will, but they don't have the capacity to do, provide this uh, connectivity infrastructures in Southeast Asia countries. As we know, the U.S. Uh, domestic uh, infrastructure construction of its own is uh, facing a serious uh, aging problem. They cannot solve it, such as in February 3rd, 2023, Ohio train derailment led to a large number of chemical leakage accidents. So we can see from that uh, accident how poor the United States infrastructure, but also how able to help ASEAN countries, uh, how urgent the ASEAN countries needed. So we cannot depend on the the U.S. or, or Japan. So why uh, not Japan? Uh, Japan, because, uh, you know, Japan's Shinkansen uh, has previously obtained the Vietnam's high-speed rail order. Uh, Sixteen years uh, did not start, and the China-Laos railway has already opened. So now Vietnam has to come to choose China's infrastructure. So this proves that uh, the U.S. has the will, but it doesn't have the technology. U.S. doesn't have the high-speed rail technology, and Japan has the technology, but Japan does not have the ability, because in Vietnam, 16 years have passed, even they haven't started yet. That is the reality. So for the ASEAN countries, they know what is right and what is wrong, because they have to put this cost and efficiency first. They have to choose the contractor with the lowest 
cost and the highest efficiency. Right. Um, last question. Um, obviously, ASEAN countries and China's got a lot of, uh, you know, things at hand for cooperation. But which aspect or which field would you pick as the top priority on the agenda? Let's start with um, Professor Dai. First of all, I think the current trend of China's rapid development and the, the intensifying game between China and the United States may make ASEAN's great power balance mechanism produce uh, more constraints on China's development. Uh, so we have to understand this uh, real situation first. But although the economic uh, ties between China and ASEAN are getting deeper and deeper, as mentioned uh, before, ASEAN is still more biased towards the United States in terms of security and from the perspective of composition. Several older ASEAN countries have relatively obvious ideological tendencies, and half of ASEAN countries have disputes with China on the South China Sea issue. So ASEAN is likely to work on U.S. power in the region. So we need to work the, the most urgent challenge for this. Second, the U.S. may take advantage of this insecurity of some ASEAN countries to encourage ASEAN to join its containment of China. Starting July, U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris, Defense Secretary Austin, and uh, their teams visited several Southeast Asia countries, including Vietnam and Singapore, twice. These phenomena indicate that the U.S. in the Biden administration is trying to draw ASEAN into its leading multilateral mechanism to contain China. And thirdly, to my understanding, the competition between China and the U.S., has caused the statues of ASEAN in regional affairs to rise by their tide and has brought complex effects. So in order to make the initiative in Asia-Pacific affairs, both China and the U.S. need the support of ASEAN, which make ASEAN voice greatly improved in a short period of time. So lastly, I think the changes in the international affairs of ASEAN countries and the rise of for populist forces were undoubtedly have an impact on China's implementation of the BRI construction and the bilateral cooperation. The most typical example is that uh, a few years ago, the succession of prime ministers in Malaysia led to the domestic attitude towards the BRI infrastructure projects from uh, welcome to suspicion, which caused losses to China's interests. So at the same time, the U.S. and its allies have taken advantage of these political changes in ASEAN countries to launch, rebuild a better world and other projects. And of course, I think that uh, BRI can work together with the American proposed uh, in, uh, infrastructure initiatives. Uh, it's okay, but this competition uh, or cooperation should be based on the mutual respect and uh, the, uh, the international law or regional uh, rules. Uh, it, it should be this cooperation all competition should be positive, not negative, right? Uh, so, because they let the ASEAN members to choose, make their own choice, which country they should uh, uh, take side. So right? you're saying uh, the first and foremost important thing for China and ASEAN to do hand in hand is to resist the external interference from the U.S. Yes, because they, they are, I think the ASEAN countries uh, political leaders and the parties, they are very clever to see what benefits they can get from, from China or from U.S. or from other uh, countries. Uh, just like uh, our African 
friends, they experienced the real progress, the real benefits that China has provided to them through the implementation of BRI politics. For example, the improvement of infrastructure and uh, the improvement of uh, their soft power building, for example, their standardization of the industries and the technologies, right? For example, the railway lines operated by Chinese uh, uh, standards and uh, technologies in African countries. And I think that the ASEAN countries, well, we're immediate neighbors. So we share many in common in culture or in economic uh, uh, economic. Uh, system and even the, we face the common task of uh, development uh, for the developing countries, right? Um, Digby, pick your top priority for both sides to dig in. Top priority is the economy. <laughs> that's, <laughs> like, that's always the top priority Technology as far as I can see, the material well-being of or, the citizens. Right. Um, look, ASEAN has got to increase its internal circulation. It's got to uh, more harmonization, cross-border transactions in local currencies. This has got to be advanced, um, and it's still very difficult, for example, to make payments, digital payments in uh, across all ASEAN countries. You know, you have to download a different app and then have a different bank, and, so, you know, and you end up using a visa or something. Well, that, that's not right. Uh, that what, what Obviously, we need, ASEAN needs to enhance all of its internal circulations of currencies, digital currencies, payment systems, harmonization of all of those things. Even possibly, you know, the idea of, you know, that, well, this visa-free travel already to a certain degree, so but it, that can be enhanced even further. I think that's got to be number one. And then once once that's really sort of moving along, uh, I, mean, I mean, it's already moving, let's be right. honest, but let's try and speed it up a bit. And then that is going to work much, much better with China's economy. And it's also going to strengthen ASEAN's negotiation or, you know, leverage with other blocks, so to speak. Now, I'm not suggesting we should all just divide into blocks, but what I'm saying is that ASEAN as a group of nations without kind of complete full fiscal and monetary, you know, like Europe, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, But it can definitely work better in its trade agreements with the EU, for example, and with the United States, why not, with Africa, with South America, with Central Asia, with the Middle East. And and ASEAN really needs to, to be very, very careful about allowing the U.S., to engineer a maritime mainland split within ASEAN over the South China Sea, over disputed islands, over the code of conduct, over Myanmar, over drugs, over any kind of criminal activities, human rights, or all the whole gamut. Um, that's what the U.S. is trying to do, and they're spending enormous amounts of money and putting enormous amounts of resources to make that happen. And they've did it successfully in Europe. You can see what that resulted in, and uh, and they're going to try and do the same in ASEAN. And, and this is extremely dangerous. And uh, ASEAN needs to be very, very careful about this. And uh, I think there must be much closer coordination in, in uh, terms of policing, military, legal. That needs to be done much more. Uh, excel- that needs to be accelerated a lot more. Mm. Uh, and as soon as you know, the sooner the better. Right. Hopefully um, may I just add uh, one more point uh, regarding this issue? Right. Okay. Very briefly, uh, please. Another biggest uh, breakthrough could be financial cooperation, I think. The, sure. uh, you know, as the international influence of the RMB is increasing and the framework for cross-border RMB business has been further improved. So according to mm-hmm. one study by the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, among ASEAN countries, currencies, as uh, uh, Debbie pointed out, that are more closely correlated with uh, Malaysia. Uh, the renminbi fluctuations include the Indonesia, the Philippine peso, and the Malaysia ringgit. RMB is the second most influential currency in ASEAN region, 
its inference is second only to the U.S. dollar, significantly higher than the euro and the Japanese yen. It has to a development trend of the largest trade currency, which will further trap the cooperation potential between China and ASEAN countries in yep. the future. So I have a special suggestion. We will promote the cross-border use of RMB on the basis of population flow. So according to our research, there are about uh, 200,000 Vietnamese workers in Guangxi province alone. So this uh, uh, financial cooperation could be another breakthrough between China and uh, ASEAN countries. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking too. Maybe not RMB, a new currency maybe, like yeah, the yeah, euro, yeah. but that's, that's another story. All right, then uh, last but not least to Herman, which field would you give priority to? I think you just mentioned a rise cri- price crisis in, in the Philippines. You would uh, give priority to agricultural cooperation maybe? Well, uh, ASEAN uh, for its past 56 years is doing very well. It has opened up a new horizon for Asia and ASEAN members. It is uh, on the road to uh, becoming the uh, part of the major pillar of the Asian century. Uh, What I would focus on is the danger to this uh, positive track that ASEAN is already in with China. Mm. And uh, to advise ASEAN members to watch their back because it is within ASEAN, and I will not be shy to mention it, it is the Philippines that uh, can be the uh, major stumbling block to the continuing uh, prosperity of uh, ASEAN and and the entire region of Asia. So um, I would maybe finally request the other countries in ASEAN to be more aggressive in advising the Philippines because the moral suasion will have its positive effect to discourage the Philippines from continuing in its present path of collaboration with the disruptor of uh, development and uh, prosperity for the world, not only for Asia. Mm -hmm. Together we can do better. And with that, we wrap up today's chat. Many thanks to Herman Laurel, founder of the Philippine BRIC Strategic Studies Group, Dr. Digby James Wren, Senior Special Advisor and Director of the Mekong Research Center, the International Relations Institute, Royal Academy of Cambodia, and Dai Yonghong, Dean of College of International Studies and Institute of Area and International Communication, Shenzhen University, for sharing your insights. The show is available on all major podcast platforms. If you have anything to say about the topic or the show, please email us at radio at cgtn.com. I'm Tzu Yun, saying thank you for being with us. We'll have more chat next week. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 